Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thursday BWI Daily Edition means mailbag and practice observations with Nate Bauer, senior editor of Blue White Illustrated. Nate, how you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. I'm having some coffee, you know, so that's getting things going and full full busy day ahead, right? We gotta <laughs> we gotta love up these spring weeks of when there's actually something happening because guess yes. what? This is all going away. <laughs> Oh, don't in, in, I know don't I know. tell me we do this five days a week don't tell me that <laughs> we're going to be getting into like well what like what one of the things of like I don't mind speculation but then speculation based on a per, already preconceived speculation that's when I start to go this is we're, we're getting a little silly so the the best ones are why why do they wear black sneakers <laughs> move it to let's go blue <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's not think about that just yet. Let's enjoy the moment. Um, so this morning, quick side note, a little sluggish today here on the BWI Daily Edition, but uh, I didn't make any coffee. I So throughout the week, I make enough for my wife and I, and there's always a little bit left over. So I pour that into a mason jar, and like I save that up, and today was the leftover coffee day. Um, so there wasn't as much. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I needed it till I was sitting here in front of the camera going, "Oh boy, what what wh what's wrong? Why why would I push the ignition button? Is things not happening?" That's Wait, why. You you drinking like the coffee's already been made and it's being refrigerated? Is that yes. what's happening here? Yeah. Oh no. T Frank, come on, buddy. But it, you what? can't do that. Listen, That's against the rules. That's against the coffee rules. Listen, I drink really nice coffee. Like I grind my own beans every single day. That's what I'm saying. You every once in a while, I can handle some sludge. That's okay. 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 Every once I'm glad to know that that's where you were going because if you were telling me that you're buying nice coffee and doing all of the process and then no. refrigerating it for the week, we would I I would have taken issue with that. No, 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 no. I I just I I. I, it was a late night last night. I just couldn't bring myself to make coffee. Plus, our coffee is behind all the dirty dishes I didn't get to last night. So yeah. it was just like a survival instinct. And that, like, here's another thing. Every once in a while, you need to suffer a little bit as a human being. Like, you need to feel the pain to then feel alive again later. At least that's how I have uh, uh, tried to make it all feel right, you know, when that happens. <laughs> The, the pain of not having your gourmet coffee, like, at hand? Yes. Yes. Yeah. True human suffering, sir. Yes. You are a warrior. I understand. Yes. And to those people out there who are either listening and don't see the fact that I've got a uh, a really big, dumb grin on my face, if you're listening on the podcast, or if you don't know what a joke is, yes, I understand that there are wars going on in the world. This is, uh, you know, oh. we'll, have to, we'll have to ruin the joke so that people understand it's a joke anyway 
What did you think about last night? What did you hear? What did you see? What were your, the interesting things to Nate Bauer from Penn State's practice? Yeah. Okay, so, and this is, may not be of any interest to, to people. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that Penn State's punning situation is very interesting. <laughs> right? Okay. They have, they have, because you got to find a new one. And that's been a consistent piece that they've had for the last three years. Right. So, so to, to find a new punter, uh, Bardia Moore was brought in from Fordham and right. Like it was an intentional transfer. So I, I he's a walk-on status, but like his ability to transfer Penn state, obviously Penn state wanted him and he was brought for the express purpose of becoming the punter really this year. Right. But he, but he still has to be able to do it. And so I, I can't pronounce his competitor, Gabriel, uh, Nuosu, mm-hmm. his last name. Um, but he's, he's his own thing, right? Six foot six, 273 pounds like, down from last year, by the way, who I think correct. he was pushing 300. Correct. I mean, honestly, he carries it well. Like he, yes. he doesn't look, he doesn't look bad for 273 pounds at six foot six. So, but that's, that's interesting. And so we, we you know, it, it, during the portion of practice that we were able to see, we got to watch them punt and, I thought that maybe uh, Nwosu had the bigger leg, but I thought that I would hope process- so. <laughs> yeah, right. But but I thought that the process and and this was kind of where I'm going with this is Stacy Collins was available to us afterwards, and he said more or less what I thought I saw, which was you know the consistency and the mm-hmm. get off right, like that time the, the the process time of snap to ball being in the air is is less consistent right mm-hmm. and so a more has a little bit more fluid of emotion um and to me i thought i thought that uh i, I thought that barney Moore was again like we're talking about a couple of reps here right yeah. <laughs> so so you're just you're just dealing with initial impressions but i thought a more looked good mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting uh they moved on to we actually like to me, I don't know if you can uh, remember this happening otherwise this spring, but actually got to see some one offense versus one defense. Yeah, that was uh, the first time we got to see that. We haven't seen for, anything live all season until the 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 surprise goal line stand two point try. Right. Yeah. So so for two plays. Yep. So they were so they were both two point conversions. Christian. Uh, Christian Veyu took one with the second team, obviously, yep. uh, and Sean Clifford took one with the first team, and both were failed conversions. I did not um, see what happened on the first one because I was uh, I was videotaping a part of the play, as we are yeah. asked to do, so I didn't get to see what Clifford was doing, so I didn't see how any of that worked out, but I did see on the second one, you know, the broken up pass by Jalen Reed, so that yes. was a good sign for the defense, maybe? Yeah, um, you, you know, I, I, I mean, I thought that both... both Pat, you know, I'm like, what am I talking about here? Both quarterbacks had time to make decisions. Like nothing, nothing happened quickly in the yeah. play. Right. And so like part of a two point conversion, like if you're, if your quarterback is back there evaluating the field, the window's already closed most yep. of the time. And yep. so that was absolutely the case on both plays. Uh, Clifford overthrew Malik mega, it, but it was, there was nowhere to go with the ball. Mm-hmm. So that was the case for that one. And then Jalen Reed, it was the same situation. Uh, Vey, you tried to hit Dinkins in the middle of the field. And, you know, 
he wasn't open. Yep. <laughs> so, so, um, so no, those were the two plays. And then we saw some, we saw some field goal do you, work. Do you take anything into account when it comes to who was lining up where with the first team and second team? Um, because there were some there were some things that were interesting and I, I don't know if they're worth bringing up because it's literally two reps and that could have been different yesterday. Uh, yep. But I just you know, there was there's a couple of situations that with some players either not there or there was, you know, a different shakeup on the depth chart that I thought was interesting. But I don't know if it's worth getting into that particular part of the granular observations. So, so I, I mean, if anyone is prepared and capable of talking about this and explaining to me what's what, it's you. Yeah. Keaton Ellis said, Keaton Ellis had a, a teleconference this week where he said that he is competing for the starting dime. That, okay. That, okay. So that, that was the first time that I had heard that verbalized. And I, I don't think that they're... They're not locked into positions, right? Like mm-hmm. that's safety. They're not. Well, so, they're, so dime not, is, and I don't know their terminology, and that's the thing, because like dime could mean their field safety in Manny Diaz's scheme. Dime is also when you go five defensive back or six defensive backs. So that is right. you, that might be a sub package on third down where they take all the linebackers off the field, and Keaton Ellis is then an underneath defender. So right. that would be another Manny Diaz difference instead of having the traditional still having your your two linebackers out there so that's something I've seen from him on tape you know and it's it's one of those things of what are you doing because they've got four safeties right now right. that are scholarship safeties so are yep. they are, are they implementing that knowing they're getting three in the offseason or is that not one of the packages that's making it to the fall so you know right. I guess that's insight into that but I think I think I, I think that the takeaway for me was in that in that package that they ran, um, you know, in that two point convert. And again, like, is it a one-off or is it something more than that? One Keaton was on the field with the first team, right? So that's a a little underlying storyline that I've been trying to kind of track throughout this spring is it just, it just continues to feel to me like he's not being talked about the way like representatively, right. In terms of what he's, what his likely role is on the team this year. Right. If he doesn't start, he's still going to play a ton. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I kind of think he's going to (laughs) start. Well, I mean, we'll see, but, uh, but there was that and he was on the field with John Sutherland. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got a couple of, of right. Pass defensive in that situation that you would project likely to, to, to be run heavy. I, I thought that they had, two guys who could kind of do both. So, yeah. I, you know, again, is it is it specific to that situation or is that kind of an indicator of where they're going this season? Yeah, and it's it's an interesting thing too and without without seeing the full picture once again, not to not to have a cop out here, but like I was on on one play I was looking at Brenton Strange, on the other one I was looking yep. at Nick Singleton. So, I yep. I did not see a single defender in where yep. they were really lining up other than I noticed a couple of guys that were in there, including Singleton running with the second team. Uh, although Kevon Lee was not, I don't think, I don't know if he was there or not yesterday. Um, yeah. Because sometimes as James Franklin has mentioned, players are not there at the beginning and then they come out later. So, you know, there, I think there was a little bit of that going on yesterday because there were more absences than I've seen uh, recently over the first three yep. weeks of the season. Uh, yeah. Anything said last night, James Franklin gave a little more insight in what the blue-white game is going to look like, and I thought that was very interesting as well. What did yeah. he say when it came to what their plan is? 
so I, I thought that the the biggest takeaway was that they're not just abandoning the concept of the blue white game, right? Like, I mean, obviously yeah. the the event is happening, but two things: one, they just they just don't have enough offensive linemen right now. That is the reality. Is healthy offensive linemen are coming at a premium, and so when you're trying to put on a scrimmage or in this case a a simulated game right in terms of blue white game you have to get creative and i I thought it was very interesting what he explained about how the um how the scrimmage on friday night worked and this is what i would guess is kind of where he's hinting that they're going is that they would run the one offense right Mm -hmm. against whatever defense it was right one defense or two defense yep and then break right you break and you do special teams work outside so it was like raining on friday um do special teams work come back run with the twos and at this point because you're only dealing with six or seven offensive linemen who are available you're basically running the same offensive line yeah which is interesting because you got to be careful of which special teams you're running because the offensive line is also heavily involved in a lot of special teams units yeah 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 but i but i don't think i don't i don't think that they Again, when you're doing uh, a simulate like a controlled scrimmage, yeah, they don't have to be right. Like yeah. nobody's you don't you don't need your uh, defensive line or your your punt block or your field goal block. You don't need them to actually try to block the kick. Like that's yeah. not that's not necessarily a valued part of that. So like I, I mean, at least from everything that I've ever seen in practice, when the snap goes up. The in terms of like a field goal, when the snap yeah. happens, the offensive everyone, line stands, everyone stands, stands up. up. Yeah, right. So one of the things that James Franklin talked about yesterday that was interesting um, from a from a offensive perspective is because we were talking to Sean Clifford as well afterwards, and the focus is on the quarterback, right? And year two in the offense, and the quarterback knowing the offense, but it's also year two for the offensive line. And it's an interesting dichotomy they're in right now that is this situation helping the offensive line more or less because there's only five or six of them um, that they're getting all the reps, as you just mentioned, like in the blue white game, they're basically going to play the entire time. Does that help accelerate their integration into the new offense and what they're looking for as far as maybe some new concepts they want to run or is it too much? And, you know, I, I don't know that James Franklin answered in kind of a, well, we'd like to have everyone out there working, but the guys that are getting work are getting good work. So I, I don't know. Yep. And there's guys that there are players that are important to the future of the offensive line that aren't even here. So it's kind of a mixed bag where the quarterback, I think, is getting a lot of really good work in the second season. And James Franklin talked about this and Sean Clifford talked about this after practice of the quarterback is feeling like he mastered the offense. Now the rest of the team has to feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that there's a right answer. I I thought that the, the biggest, most notable side to it that I, that I took was he, he seemed optimistic that the uh, scrambling is the wrong word, but the adjustments that they've made to practices and the adjustments that they've made to their approach yeah. have allowed all the other positions to not be um, dinged, 
right? Yeah. Like to, to have to not, to, to not, not have any not negative effects. On. Yeah, correct. And that was correct. that was really his main thrust of the conversation was the offensive line is one thing, but we've made sure that the offensive line doesn't affect the receivers, running backs, and tight ends from getting their work as well. Yeah, and I think and I think defensively as well. I, I mean, yeah, I, I yes. think that all of yeah. all of that is important is to to get good reps when you have the opportunity. I. It's funny because this it transitioned so well, but I, I also spent some time watching Manny Diaz mm-hmm. last night and the linebackers, and he was doing a, a you know, it's a, it's a ball strip drill, yeah. right? Where yep. one, one linebacker is holding the ball and there, he's falling into a bag and the other linebacker is asked right to rip it out. Yeah. Uh, and so, the first time through the line, the first time everyone did it, all of the linebackers were basically ripping out the ball before the falling action had started. Yeah. And so he was, uh, you know, livid is not the right word, but I I mean, he literally said, he was just like, Hey, we just wasted two minutes of everybody's time. Like, Mm -hmm. because, because nobody did that correctly this is this is right and so at at some point i don't know if it was john sutherland or or uh, curtis jacobs somebody did it correctly right so once they were almost to the back so the falling action they were almost to the ground rip the ball out go find it and get it yeah and he was like hey that's a live rep that's a good rep right there and you know at that point everybody did it correctly but uh, uh, just speaking to the point of hey all of this matters all yep. of these reps matter in their minds. They they do not want to have wasted time, wasted energy, wasted practice reps. Yep. Um, and I thought that I thought that really, you know, was kind of a good example of their approach on that stuff. And it's it's interesting. I don't think this is this is the part that I think we haven't really ever covered when our observation of practice is that everything is done down to the second. So yeah. they are they go through different portions of practice and everything's segmented out by what they want to work on and we usually get to see ball security drills whether it's on offense or defense ball disruption all that stuff and there's somebody in the background keeping time giving you 60 seconds until 15 whatever and then they blow the horn and like everyone runs to new circuit so all of this stuff is is down to the second as far as how it's timed how it's structured and how much they want to squeeze all of that production out of those drills and out of those periods because you only get so much time with with the actual coaches in the coaching. You need to maximize that as much as possible. So there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of structure that goes into all that stuff as well. Uh, We have got to get to the questions today, though, Nev. We got a lot of good ones here today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So as always, if you want to get a question here on the BWI Mailbag Show, the best way is to sign up for Blue White Illustrated over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Be a part of the Lion's Den message board. After practice, right as I'm throwing myself onto the couch, I'll throw a tweet up and a, uh, a message board post where you get to ask questions on the show. And if you are a Lion's Den message board member, we get your question on the air. If you follow on Twitter, at Thomas Frank Carr, when I post the message, you can get your question on there as well. But we always make sure we get to the ones over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. One dollar. There is no reason for you not to get in on the action. Twelve months, by the way. One dollar for twelve months. Nate, in twelve months... In. In, in, in twelve months, how much is cheese going to cost? You know, I, I don't know the cost of cheese as it is. I, I'm not a big <laughs> cheese eater. Okay. So I don't know. All right. I it's, thought it was... Be, it's I a thought... value. If that's what you're saying, it's a value. Get in that's now. exactly what I'm saying. It's not going to go up. It's not going to go down. It's going to be a dollar for 12 months. Uh, okay. So let's get to the questions today. This one's from uh, NH Penn Stater 1. I'm going to assume that's New Hampshire. Coach Franklin sure. touched on the possibility of more players transferring out after spring ball in his post-practice availability. My question is, how severe do you guys expect that to be? Any hunches of who, how many, or whether it would be significant enough to require immediate emergency replacements before the season in the portal? Can't wait to hear Nate's reaction on this one. Lots of speculation involved, just the way he likes it. So, Nate, I am going to not only do that, but I'm going to let you go first. Oh, man. <laughs> um, You know, look, so... So when I see, I see transfers in, in two realms, right? I see transfers that happen because a player is not a fit and Mm -hmm. that can mean a variety of things, but it just means that on the field, off the field, whatever it is, uh, that they don't, they don't mesh with the program. That's right. Like they don't have a future. They're not, they're not going to work themselves into the lineup or there are off field issues that just culturally don't fit. Yep. Uh, so, so I see, I see that as, as being one thing and I would have a hard time believing that, and, and I could be wrong, but like those are, those are, uh, quote unquote care frontations, right. Mm-hmm. Where that typically happens after the season. So, yeah. Hey, this year just went by, it's not working out. Uh, yeah. you know, you can stay, but just just know that you're probably spinning your wheels by remaining here. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see much of that. And and certainly the way that James Franklin painted it last night, I, I don't think Penn State wants anybody to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like I I don't think I don't think that's a situation that Penn State would be initiating. The second that happens and typically does happen after spring ball is players who believe that the clock is ticking, yeah. right? The time is running out on their opportunities to participate and to, to, to take on a starring role. Yep. Like, and, and again, like this is, this is, this is maybe a good example. And I, and I hate to use his name because um, I, I don't want to suggest that this is in any way real, but let's say, let's say that Keaton Ellis wasn't in their plans. Yeah. Right. That, competes in the in throughout spring ball had a role last year but not a starting role and then this right the senior year 
Um, and he would he would still have a, a super senior year available to him. But in his senior year, if if it became clear that Jalen Reed and Zaki Wheatley had both passed him on the depth chart this yep. spring, coming out of the spring, like at that point, you wouldn't be surprised by a situation yep. like that. And I don't I don't see a ton of that on Penn State's roster. Like I yeah. don't see a ton of I don't see a ton of fourth or fifth year guys who because they've already left that's what i'm saying they've already left they're already they're already gone so they're like you know when tommy stevens left like what have you um you just i I just don't see when will levis left right like will levis left after a season and and again like that wasn't after a spring he already knew that he already knew that sean clifford was coming back and there was no direct avenue for him to like other than the chance that he could beat out Sean Clifford in spring ball. Like he didn't, he didn't want to leave it up to that chance. And so I don't, I don't necessarily see that um, on this roster. Yeah. So I guess I would, the only part I would add to that, because I think you summed that up really well, is that look for positions where there's an open competition and then who didn't win the job may it may inform who you might look at as somebody that transfers. And that I think you you paint a good picture of the players that would be more apt to transfer than the ones that don't. So there's a couple of positions. I think we all know them. But Penn State, yeah. as you pointed out, like I don't see a ton of positions where there's enough depth to, for that to be a problem. Yeah, I th- I think okay, so so like and uh, you know that I don't like doing this, but Running back is a good example. Like yep. that's a okay. So so Noah Kane already left, and I think that they would like to carry five, which they currently have. Okay, yep. so that's not a problem from Penn State side of things. I, I I have no question that Penn State would like to keep everybody in the room that they currently have. Sure, would. obviously, right? Like obviously, the early enroll enrollees aren't going anywhere. Yep. Is there a question as to Kevon Lee, Kaziah Holmes, or Devin Ford? Sure. Yeah. Like I think you know, depending on depending on how how this spring shakes out and where the, those guys see themselves or find themselves, the fact that Kaziah Holmes didn't transfer after the season, yeah. right? That that they gladly entered into that redshirt year. I don't know if gladly is the right word, but but did the redshirt year and then remained here when Noah Kane left suggests, yeah, like that's that's kind of a settled issue. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and and the same remains true. Like if you look if you look across the board, when you brought up open position battles, right? Tyler Elston and Kobe King is a they're, good example. They're both going to play oh, though. Exactly. So yeah. Kobe, like Kobe King has no reason to transfer for that reason. Yep. What what I think is interesting, <laughs> and this is an entirely different conversation, but part of James Franklin's response about that. Last night, it, it, I, and I apologize in advance if I'm misremembering this, but NIL is going to be part of that conversation. Yeah. Like, it, it really is. There there are going to be players who, uh, I, I'm not saying that it will happen that they'll leave because of NIL, but there will absolutely be, I, I mean, man, I feel like I'm pulling back the curtain here, but there will absolutely be players who could start at Penn State next yeah. season, who will have conversations, either themselves or their handlers or their parents or what have you, 
to get feelers as to whether or not there is a more lucrative like we're talking actual money here yep. fifty thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars can change lives and so if that op if that opportunity is out there um i i don't have any question or problem acknowledging that yes those those conversations will will take place it's just yeah. a matter of whether or not penn state has the infrastructure in place to present its side of it as yes com competing in the financial space but also hey this this learning environment you chose to come to, you chose to come to penn state in the first place you like your teammates all of those things can outweigh whatever those mitigating factors are and to me, this is also where James Franklin. So this is something we've we talked about, I think, last week of, hey, do you keep in contact with players that you're not going to recruit because three years later, the portal, they may be ready. It's like you to me, this goes back to recruiting. Are you recruiting players that want to be at Penn State for all of the traditional reasons? Yeah. Those guys are more likely to want to stay than to go look for the money. Now, you're never going to recruit 100% of one thing. It's not like they're all recruiting Stanford guys that want to be at Stanford because it's Stanford, and that's the draw. It's 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 always going to be a hodgepodge of stuff, but I think, I, I, I think there's an opportunity to mitigate some of these conversations with the type of player and the type of person and family that you recruit. And it's not perfect, and some players change their minds, but it, you're in a, I think you're in a better situation if you're Penn State because you've put in that work to begin with of finding, quote-unquote, the right guys. Moving yeah. on to this question from Poncho570. Dressed a big need in landing uh, Damian Robinson from the transfer portal as he's an edge rusher now looking ahead to who's in the 22 class to fit the defensive end position, who fits the edge rusher position, and who among the 23 targets fills those roles. So, Nate, we're going to have a uh, hit football history with T. Frank here because this is a great question from Poncho because there is so much confusion about the, the who, who rushes the passer. So we're going to start with what you know. And what you know is that defensive ends play with their hand in the dirt and uh, and outside linebackers play in a two-point stance. And that 3-4 teams use outside linebackers and defensive ends used uh, are, are used in a 4-3 system. And those two things are different. But they're not. So, when we talk about defensive ends, outside linebackers, and edge rushers... And by the way, traditional, like, legacy media people still don't understand that this has changed. Everyone runs, uh, I would say, mostly the same thing when it comes to third down pass rushing. You have usually four players rushing the passer from the defensive line. And it does not matter if they have their hand in the dirt or if they have a two-point stance. If you are rushing the passer... As your primary objective as a football player, the new designation that gets rid of all of that confusion is edge rusher. So defensive ends are edge rushers. Outside linebackers are edge rushers. If your primary function, and this is where PFF is super helpful to go see what was the guy doing the most. Was he rushing the passer or was he dropping into coverage? So give you an example. Damian Robinson is uh, an outside linebacker is how some teams you know, kind of characterize him because Maryland ran a three down front with outside linebackers. But on the whole, his primary objective 
was rushing the passer on passing downs. Now, he was a little bit closer to that traditional 3-4 linebacker that does drop into coverage sometimes. So if you wanted to call him a linebacker, I, I would give you that one. But 82 snaps, he was rushing the passer, and less than that, he was in coverage. So it's about what is your job, what is your responsibility. So edge rusher and defensive end are the same position, especially for Penn State. There is no difference. It is a terminology meant to end this confusion, but people are still latching onto the idea that guys are playing with five down fronts and linebackers on the edge. And if you're dedicating five guys to the line of scrimmage in modern college football, you are giving the offense an extra six yards of room in the underneath coverage. It is it is illogical and impossible to run a traditional bear front anymore, like as your base defense, where you've got that nose tackle, defensive tackles, outside linebackers. That is that is defensive suicide if you're going to run that on a regular basis. So to give you the answer to the question is Penn State recruits edge rushers. So Damian Robinson, Deny Dennis Sutton, Shaka Tony, they're all edge rushers. Some of them drop because Penn State likes to zone blitz, especially under Brent Fry. But their primary objective, and I mean 95% of the time, they're going after the quarterback. So Damian Robinson is coming in to rush the quarterback. Zariah Fisher. Defensive end, edge rusher, whatever you want to call him. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Tarburton, Deny, Deny Dennis, yeah. Isaac, they're all the same yeah. position. So when we talk about the class of 2022, um, I think Ken Talley is coming from linebacker, so he has to learn how to play defensive end. And genuinely, I don't have a scouting report on him because there was so little translatable stuff on his film to me from what I saw that I, I just I couldn't get a informed opinion to give you. So I'm going to learn with you guys on Ken Talley in 2023. Go for it. Well, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, who was the uh, was it Jeremiah Trotter? Who was the the coach at the uh, All American game, the the U.S. Army All American game? Uh-huh. That Tally was down there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he was just like he's a natural. Yeah, he, he had he had been playing linebacker throughout high school, all of high school, and for that game, made the switch to def- to defensive end. Yeah, and and excelled. Yes, he was very good. He thought that he thought that he absolutely um, was ready to pick that up. So I, I don't I don't think it's a huge leap to anticipate that he could become a factor there. Uh, but but this year is my question. And yeah, I, I right. would not I, I, I would not see. Right. But long term, yeah. yeah. And so he blitzed well in high school, and I think that was a part of the profile of he's got he's a natural of taking on linemen and getting to the quarterback. And and but a lot of his rushes were against running backs. You know, and that's how yeah. the blitz protection works. Um, so so there is no edge rusher versus defensive end. They're both edge rushers. And then in twenty three, there is a very deep and stacked class. Uh, of edge rushers in the region. Some of the guys that Ryan Snyder has put in a pre- prediction for, I believe he's put in a prediction for both Mason Robinson, who we had on the BWI Daily Edition yesterday, incredibly advanced player for the position as far as his mental and physical abilities, uh, his pass rush moves with room to grow. And then Jameel Lyons, who at one point was projected to be a defensive tackle, but has maintained his size at around 245. Highly athletic player. Another guy that I'm going to get into the film of. He's committing on August 4th, and I believe Ryan has a uh, prediction in for him as well. But there's Desmond Umazulu. Um, Nick Harbour is a five-star player that is blowing up and becoming famous on a 
national level. He is from Maryland. I believe Ryan said his sister goes to Penn State, but there's no lock he's going to be a, a Nittany Lion because of that. Um, Penn State has been in his recruitment. There's a couple other really high-profile players in the region, but that's why we have the BWI Recruiting Show to check that out on Tuesdays and when Ryan comes with me on the show on Fridays. You can check those out here on YouTube. A great reason to hit the notification button and to always watch the show. And by the way, I should say, not just watch. I, I always, because I'm staring into camera right now, I tend to forget that we're also on a podcast which I came from radio, you'd think I would think of audio first, but I love our podcast listeners, and I never want to leave you guys out. So just, you know, wherever you get your podcast, you can also hear all this information from Ryan, who is the expert on these things. I just watch their film when they commit. Uh, OC Lyons says, James Franklin referred to Mitchell Tinsley as Steady Eddie. That reference concerns me. Does he have the skills to be a number one receiver in the Big Ten, or is he a possession receiver? What should we expect Nate, I, I believe we're reading a little bit too much into Steady Eddie, which is supposed to be a compliment. Yeah, I, I mean, traditionally, if I'm if I'm thinking back on times that James Franklin has used the terminology Steady Eddie, it's people who he loves. Yep. <laughs> right, and yep. and we've we've talked about this before. At receiver in particular, that ability to duplicate reps to just Yep. Rep after rep after rep after rep that you know what you are going to get and that what you're going to get is of the caliber that you expect, right? And that you, yeah. and that you need from that position. So I, I do not at all take, I mean, I think Jahan Dotson was at one point described as steady oh, he, Eddie. He was steady Eddie from the beginning. Like he was the right? same guy. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so now, now what's interesting to me is how Jahan Dotson evolved into a guy who caught everything. Yes. Right. Right. Like that, that was an evolution for him um, to, to where his ball skills became what they were. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any concept of that for Mitchell Tinsley, like yeah. one way or the other. I, I just, so, I, I mean, I he, know. he caught a, a ton of passes last season. And one of the things that James Franklin joked about yesterday was like, it was probably illegal to, to run the ball at Western Kentucky. He has yeah. said repeatedly, and this is where, this is the part that I think you should have brought up OC Lyon, not to, not to tell you what, how to ask your question, but like the part he did say was multiple times getting an idea of what it is at this level to be big, fast and explosive and he said going through our speed program this offseason is going to really help him. So from what I saw on film, he's fast enough to compete at the Big Ten level and to be a, a difference maker. But yep. to be a superstar, to to take that Arnold Evakiti route of coming in and being the guy, there is a little more gas in the tank, according to James Franklin, that they see he can be even, and that's why he's that's why he comes to Penn State. Because yep. he's got the abilities. It's clear on his size, his frame. I really like watching him move. I love receivers. My favorite position is watching receivers because it is the most incredible things that they do in the air. He's got all of that stuff. It just is yep. getting a couple extra RPMs out, making sure that he is the guy that we saw on film at the next level. And I, I'm not too concerned about that. I think Penn State can work with him and make him fast enough that it, you know, be a 4-4 guy. Well, and I think and, that's really all it is. And I think I think the, you know, it's it's a little bit different, but maybe elements of this as well is there was there was a, 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 Dotson's just the most convenient example here. But earlier in Dotson's career, 
the conversation from James Franklin was he has to decide if he wants to be a Big Ten receiver. And deciding mm -hmm. if you want to be a Big Ten receiver means, hey, you've you've had this identity as a fast, fluid uh, receiver, right? Who is liked. And yep. Jahan Dotson didn't end that way. He got thick, right? Like he <laughs> he put the work in. He put the work in. There was, I mean, literally, like they say it, there was a conscious decision made. Hey, I'm going to commit to this and actually go like the protein shakes, like all of that stuff that is a bear. It is a grind to put on weight when yeah. your metabolism is the way that these guys' metabolism is. Yeah. And I think that part of the suggestion here with Tinsley is if Tinsley commits to all of the resources that Penn State has available in terms of strength training and those nutritional aspects that he can have the speed yeah. and the size to not get pushed around, right? To, I, I to think this is also and not get pushed around. This is also kind of a public motivation thing, too, because I'm sure they've had these conversations, but this is also kind of a yep. I, I would imagine this is for James Franklin in particular, a tactic that he continually mentions this out loud to us as a as a way to continue to push him to do those things in a persuasive way to make sure yep. that he understands it's important. And I, I don't think that that's any... I, I don't see a lot of cause for concern here. So that's what I would say OC line you should expect. A, a yep. really good receiver, a complete receiver is the other part that James Franklin talked about. Like, let's also remember that he called him a complete receiver that can do anything. Yeah, he's I, he came to Penn State for one final year to be a big, big, big factor in Penn State's offense. Yep. Uh, so Chris Gelso asks, we've discussed that Bo is ahead of Drew physically, uh, meaning, you know, going back to what Chuck Losey said, but uh, he says, but when they are throwing the ball during practice, who looks better? This is a tough one to answer, Chris, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, we have seen, as we said earlier, we've seen two live reps. So we have I've never seen either of them throw the ball against competition. I've only ever seen them throw the ball to the GAs wearing the brightly colored shirts. So it's a bit tough to answer. Do you have anywhere you want to start with that particular thought? Yeah, un unfortunately, the um, unfortunately the quarterbacks don't throw the ball during punting work, uh, which is <laughs> which is too often the portion of practice that we are able to see. So n no, I mean I. I, I don't have an opinion. I would feel like an idiot if I tried to to make anything out of the maybe 10 passes from each guy that I've seen uh, over the duration of spring practice. I mean, but you saw, like, whatever you saw on their high school film, T. Frank, which you've, I'm sure, looked endlessly at, it's a pretty safe bet that that, remains the case yeah, yeah. for these guys at this point in their career. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you one observation, Chris, that I saw yesterday just to kind of give you something here. Um, they were doing kind of a leveling drill where you throw the ball over a net. And uh, and if you've watched the video, the highlights, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube, um, Aller had a bit of an issue getting the ball over the net. He kept hitting the top of the net. But so did Christian Vegu. Prabula was able to get the ball, feather it over top, and, and kind of drop it over what is a simulated defender on the second level. You can do that, or you can throw the ball so hard 
that the guy has no chance of getting his hands on it. It's a bit riskier, but like that's what that dr- that's what that drill's kind of simulating is getting the ball up and down, and it's a, it's a trajectory thing. But I am not basing anything whatsoever on one drill as to far, as far as who looks better and who doesn't look like they're they're getting it. Again, Prabula has the ability to throw the ball on the run. He's a little more mobile. Um, but Drew Aller can throw on the run. He's got great off-platform skills, so I, I, I think it's t- still too early to say. And everything you saw on film, if you watch T. Frank's film room, I don't think Prabula has a bad arm. I think that's a little bit overstated because it's a comparison factor when you're going against Drew Aller, who's six foot five, two thirty. Losi's mustache always uh, brings a good question. With Steen going into to Alabama, who are the other portal O linemen that there are to look at, if any? There was one that just left Georgia and went to Florida State. So this is going to be after spring practice, I think. Right, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not aware currently of of you know where that situation stands. Do they need another one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know. These these things are fluid, and you can have guys. I mean, especially now, I, I just cannot stress it enough that things are gonna get crazy. And they're going to be especially crazy this summer because I think like, it's just, (laughs) there aren't rules. Yeah. And, and the rules that exist aren't enforceable. And so like the bag, like we say the bag man, that there's nothing bag man about it. Now a business owner can approach without a collective. These things are called directives, and this is for an entirely different show, but they can approach someone's camp and say, hey, I love Louisville football. (laughs) I love Texas football. We need a position X, fill in the blank. And I just think that you would be a great spokesman for my company. Here's $300,000 or whatever, right? And that will be very appealing to people and people who I'm not saying it's Penn state, uh, right? Like this, this evolution has to happen until things get buckled down, which they are not right now. I, I absolutely anticipate on the broader national college football spectrum to see someone who is in a position to be a star on their current program leave to go somewhere else that they can also be a star and make a bunch of money in the process um i I wish i had a sound effects board because i would have played the old timey lightning sound effects and thunderstorms because it's very the storm clouds are rolling in around nate bauer uh let's go to some twitter questions (laughs) Uh, and by the way, uh, Amarius Mims, a five-star offense tackle at Georgia who played, you know, in mop-up duty, he transferred to Florida State. So that was the guy I was thinking of. But I think you're going to see more of that, though. Is, and that's what I was alluding to when what Nate spelled out very clearly is why is this guy transferring? Is it because of playing time? Is it because of something else? There's good... It, you have to ask the question now. There is no solid answer of, okay, it was X, Y, or Z. Uh, okay, 
if you could ask James Franklin one question that he had to give straight up uh, a straight up answer to, what would it be? Now, uh, Nate Bauer, I-, I think, can get these more readily than most people. Um, so, is there anything you've wanted to ask James Franklin recently to get a direct answer about? Uh, and what would it be? Because I, I have to think for a second because I have filtered out most of those questions from my head, knowing that I'm not going to get an answer to them. So I just don't think about <laughs> them too much. Um, no, I look, I don't know. I, I think that, that, that maybe, and this is, this is going to sound stupid because I don't know that it's of the interest of everyone else, but I, I would like to know from the stakeholders with no inhibition, what college football looks like five years from now. And you're not, you're not, um, you know, it's not, it's not that anybody has a crystal ball and can see exactly into the future and know that necessarily, but like, that's just, and you guys see this, we've done this show. You, you see me, you hear what I write or you see what I write. you, You, you hear me talk. Like it, it is front and center in my brain <laughs> that that college athletics is going through a fundamental transformational change. And I, I don't know where this is going. Um, and so I would be very, very interested to hear from it. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I know what the question is asking, right? Is was it John Donovan's fault that the offense wasn't good <laughs> in 2015, right? right? Like, uh, what was working with Christian Hackenberg? Like what, what, um, you, you know, I, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like h- how severe were the, okay. If you're, if yeah. you're not beholden to anybody, how severe were the restrictions that Penn state placed on football for COVID? How about that? Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's something that I think, most people would be interested in and certainly I would be interested in is is okay you, you've got nobody's feelings to protect how about a straight answer on whether or not you could operate your program in any capacity resembling efficiency yeah. right which is the name of the game at this level could, could you do that and I, you know I I have some hunches and some some suspicions about what the answers to some of those would be but yeah, that's the my my bigger focus and my bigger question for him right now would absolutely be where where does he see this thing going? Yeah, here's here's a question that uh, I've thought about for a long time, and I don't know if I'd get I don't know if it's worth asking either because I have my beliefs anyway. Are you running the systems you're running because you think they're the best way to win, or they're the best way to replicate production each year? knowing there's so much turnover in college football. So let's give Brent Pry as an example and the defense he ran. Up until last year, they ran a lot of pretty standard, classical, this is cover three, we're going to run it the way you run cover three. Know it, learn it, play fast. Is that because you think that's the best way to do it or because you can plug anybody into that system and as long as they know the system, you're going to have a a certain percentage of success as opposed to if you're running something like you watch what happened to Michigan with Don Brown, they have these 
really good secondary players. They have an incredible pass rush. They shut people down for a year, and then the bottom falls out because they cannot maintain that level of athleticism because it's just so hard to get and get right even if you get the athletes that physically can do these things. Florida State's another example. that They ran a lot of man coverage, that whole Dion ball thing. Florida State does not have the profile to continue to do that. And I, you know, you could see exactly how that went over time defensively. Once the shine of being Florida State and all of that faded and they missed enough and they were five and seven enough and four and six and, you know, all those bad seasons, then you're not getting the athletes up front. You're not getting the athletes in the secondary. So do you run these systems because you believe in them or because you believe it's the best way to continue to have uh, consistency, uh, and, and I don't know that it's, uh, I don't know that it matters either way. Like, you know, I, yeah. I think you can, I think it's right either way, basically. Yeah. And, and is probably both to a certain extent. Sure. I, yeah. I, at yeah. least I would think, right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're looking for consistency in whatever Avenue you think that you can do the best, right? What, what can you teach the best? What are, what are you most at home, uh, you know, expressing and, yep. and right. Like, because again, honest truth, like players can see through that. If, if yep. you're, if you're trying to implement a system or a style of play that you can't wrap your head around, or you don't actually like, yeah. And they're not going to do that anyway, but I mean, I just, I just think that it's, it's a hybrid of probably both of those things that you're suggesting. Yeah. Uh, so PSU 87 asks, trying to feel the juice of these practices from your reporting. What is the level? Does it feel like excitement or anticipation? Are players making great plays and the rest of the team is genuinely fired up for fall teams know when they're good. This is actually an interesting thing. You started the season off wanting to know what's the vibe. Um, and, and I, I kind of agree with. Lions 09 here is I don't have a good read on that right now and part of that is yep. we don't see the part of practice we used to see where there is more plays being made again we just see positional drills and we see special teams so there isn't that inherent competition so I don't really know but talking to the players it's very business as usual there is not I would say untenable excitement there's not uh any sort of drive outside of the normal, we want to be really good at football and we're doing everything necessary in the moment to make that happen. Do you have any thoughts outside of that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that you get to make waves in any direction, right? When you've had the type of success or failure that they've had in the last two years. Yeah. So you, you don't get to say, Oh, we're, we're, you know, I mean, obviously they're they're motivated. I I don't think that there's any question about that. I think that it's it's kind of the 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 duck in the pond, right? The, the everything's pretty quiet up top uh, that you can right that you can see, and then right beneath the surface, their their legs are paddling <laughs> hard, 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 uh, right? And so it's it's just a matter of you cannot. I I, I think it's interesting that. Maybe, may, maybe interesting. Look, they can only answer the questions that are asked of them. But uh, Nick Singleton, like there, there are some players who I, I don't have any question are impressing and yeah. are 
doing things that people will take note of, but you can't, you can't be so far in front of that. You're just setting yourself up for failure, right? Yeah. Because if it, if it's anything less than an all big 10 performance, then right, then you've oversold and under delivered. And so everything that I've seen from the program inside and out this year, this spring has kind of been, Hey, it, it, it's, it's grind time. It is, this is, this is where you put the work in. They are optimistic. They think that they can do good things, but this is not a team that is like, Hey, we're in a position to prove it. Like no one believes in us. We're going to prove everyone wrong. Like you don't get to say yeah. that. Nor are they you like, this is our year. We were so Correct. close last year that we're going to make sure that this year we go all the way because you know what you just said. Uh, this is a follow-up question to that one that I think is um, a, a, a valid one. John Walker on Twitter asks, at this time of year, football fans are starving for information since you and Nate are elite sports journalists. Can you share how to evade the hype train? There have been quite a few players that haven't lived up to the hype. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to take, I'm going to take that compliment and not, feel like that's sarcastic you and Nate are elite sports journalists. I'm going to take that as a compliment. So thank you. Um, that is why I always couch these conversations with this is what they said. And going back to our conversation last year about the offensive line, Juice Scruggs and Caden Wallace, is that all we heard, right, was how good it was going to be. They're these great players. And I said, we have yet to see them play. There's more evidence about some of these guys like Nick Singleton that injury can always happen, and we will never know the truth of the injuries. Yep. But unforeseen circumstances, to me, are the only thing that makes him not a contributor next fall. So it just, you know, I think it's personal opinion. And secondarily, um, I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. So Olaf Ashanu is another one where yep. we've only heard good things from multiple people about Olaf Ashanu, not just from James Franklin and not just from you know, one or two interested parties that need something to happen. So they're going to say it the way they want. That's always the part I look for too, is, is this benefiting in some way? The, the person who wants us, or is this a belief that they want to manifest into truth or is this a, you know, unbidden and it just keeps coming up there. There are, it takes three to tango when it comes to the hype train. Okay. <laughs> and, and what, and what that becomes. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to go through the process here because I've I've got some experience with this. I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. The the first part of the hype train happens when journalists, of which we are, and we are entitled to ask these questions, have questions, direct questions about a player's performance in spring practice. We don't get to see it. So th that that is our avenue to find these things out is James Franklin how is Adisa Isaac doing this spring? We're, we're all very interested. He missed last year. He was supposed to be part of the equation in 2021. He was obviously an integral part of the, the equation in 2020. Where is he now? Okay. The second piece, James Franklin says he's doing well. He's doing well. Yeah. <laughs> he's having a good spring. We have really high hopes for him. Uh, you know, like he's, he's coming back and we're, we're counting on it. Right. All, those two elements are tried and true. They have to happen. 
I hear you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. The third piece of the hype train is fans who love their football team and also have expectations and want this player or these players to be highly successful. Yep. Process that information, which is which is very straightforward, right? Question yep. and answer. They process that information as, hey, this guy, this guy is all world and better be all world. And if he's anything short of that, then we were sold a bill of goods. Uh, that that is not that's not placing blame really on anyone. I don't, right. I don't think that it's that, but it's it is a it takes all three of those ingredients for that to happen. Because here's the thing: <laughs> James Franklin typically does not. And maybe he does a little bit. There, there are some open-ended questions, but he he doesn't even necessarily bring up unprompted everyone who's playing well, right? Yeah. Like he was asked, he was asked on Wednesday night whether or not, uh, right? Like who played well in the scrimmage, and he said, "Oh, there's so many guys, I can't, you know, like it, it's hard, it's hard to to provide an answer to that, um, you know," and so. And so the ones that I think that we've seen this year, this spring, are uh, Zane Durant for sure, Nick Singleton for sure. Yep. Uh, right. Maybe maybe Zaki Wheatley. Right. Like in terms of like breaking out, but yeah. there's a massive difference between showing up in spring football and performing well in spring football and translating that into repeatable success during a big 10 football season, but they're, they're just worlds apart. And so it, it requires the journalist and the person receiving the information to be able to understand that and, and take that into account with those caveats when processing that information. Yeah. I think that's well said. So we'll move on to this question. From Honest Jay Paterno on Twitter, which statement is more true? Penn State's defense will exceed expectations because the Big Ten doesn't have film on Manny Diaz, or Sean Clifford will underachieve again because they have so much film on him. Why don't you go first here on this one? Oh, boy. Well, I don't like my options. <laughs> um, I, well, first of all, I don't know what the expectations are for, for Manny Diaz's defense. I think that's the, the, the place to start is I would like to know what, what like are, are people generally, are the fans generally receptive to the idea that with seven or eight starters not coming back this year on defense and a new defensive coordinator after a six year stint for the last guy who was, you know, really ingrained in the program that they're naturally going to take a step back. I don't, I don't know, but I think that should be the expectation. Like th- that's what I'm saying. My expectation is a okay. step back, uh, like is a, a leap back. No, not necessarily. There's still plenty of talent. And I think that they, that Manny Diaz is a good coach. So they have an opportunity to be very good. 17 points a game. Good. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Right. Right. Uh, the second thing. So the second if, thing, if there was a strike zone, right? So, on average, Brent Pry had a good defense where they average 23 to 28 points, roughly, given up a game. You know, kind of in line with where the rest of college football is. What about that? You know, being at that consistency sort of level. Yeah, I, 
I think that I think that it hinges on a few things. I think that the pass rush is a huge part of it. Yep. I think getting home is it. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Like, it, and it's and so much of this is just it's just it just turns on a dime, right? It, it's it's does the pass rush get home? Does it create the disruption that opens up opportunities for interceptions? Are are those we're going to call them risky or or like aggressive approaches, but they're not. It's calculated, right? Because you believe that you have the athletes to get it done and that when that opportunity presents itself, they'll be able to take advantage of it. But you've seen, even for Brent Pry in 2020, how that didn't happen, right? Like games that could yeah. have been won, like act like. We're talking wins and losses here. Yeah, we're also talking about 2021, where 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 they they did enough to win games, but they didn't have the offensive support to win those games. But okay, so but but I'm saying if you're if you're strictly looking at the defense, the conversation changed from okay, Jaquan Brisker dropped an interception in 2020 that led mm-hmm. to a loss versus 2021, Jaquan Brisker made an interception that absolutely ended the game yeah. at Wisconsin. Right. Uh, Tig Brown made an intercept. I mean, they both made interceptions to win the game. Right. The point remains those interceptions and being able to make that play when the opportunity came. You just it's it's very, very difficult to predict that. But it can be the difference between the points that you see on the stat page at the end of the season. Yeah. Sean Clifford. I think there is a legitimate point there. I like I I, I just I'm not going to gloss over. Can I uh, can I pick this up here? Because yeah, th- th- there was some stuff yesterday that, uh, so, you know, you, you ask questions and you're entitled to answer the question however you'd like. And with Sean Clifford, it's all about mastery of the offense, right? It's all about, you know, making sure you know everything. And, and, and it sounded a little bit like he's going to have more latitude at the line of scrimmage of, you know, placing a call or two where previously I feel like it was all very much dictated from the sideline and that means also going back to like trace mcsorley where it's been very controlled from the sideline and i've asked james franklin this previously and he said well do you want do you want the do you want the person in control to be the guy that is the professional does all this stuff or the guy that is going to econ 101 which is kind of a summation of what he was talking about of like the coach should have a heavy influence in what happens at the line of scrimmage but if you're the quarterback and you've been here for six years you should have some latitude as a part of the offense on the football field. I asked Sean Clifford, what are you working on personally this year to improve yourself? And outside of mastery of the offense, and he said being a leader, getting to know these guys, you know, being a part of the offense, actually getting to know these 18-year-olds, and he, he joked about the, the gulf in age and how it is really a different generation. He didn't mention anything about, like, getting the ball out on time and, and you know, deep ball accuracy or, you know, any of those things that we've seen from it. We talked about here on the show. James Franklin talked about Sean Clifford in the sense of giving him more support. So I don't I, I don't think that Sean or James Franklin or anyone sees Sean changing. It's the situation that's changing. So that I to me, that answers the question is I, I don't think. I was muted for that last part, wasn't I? <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, 
Um, we'll pick up with the next question as, uh, there's, there's, by the way, uh, there is so much stuff going on behind the scenes today. Uh, hopefully we can get through the end of the show because my, my, my stuff has been malfunctioning all day long. So not only do I not have coffee, apparently nothing here has any juice either. The last question I noticed, here, I noticed and filibustered at one point and I, I feel like it worked out. So we'll see. Place. We got to get to the home stretch here. So let's wrap up with this one. Does Damian Robinson make a big impact? And how much of a rotation could there be a defensive end? That's from my guy, Mud Dog, on Twitter. This is a huge thing, Nate. There's there's no way around yep. Damian Robinson. What you just said about Manny Diaz's defense, getting pass rush, getting home is critical. And Damian Robinson fills in that last puzzle piece, or at least a large portion of that last puzzle piece for the Nittany Lions up front. Is there any, any other way to, to phrase that? Like, how? what else do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. Certainly they believe his skill set is there. Yeah. All indications are that his skill set is there, right? I mean, I think that you, you were pretty highly um, complimentary of, of his film. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they need it. They need it. It's, it's less about will it happen than it is about does it have to happen for them to have the type of success that they want? And yeah. the answer to that is yes. So he, the, he needs to be part of that equation. The part that I, I'm interested in is uh, he rushed the passer efficiently with not a lot of opportunities in 2021 at 235, 240 pounds. Adisa Isaac is listed at 244 right now. So if you're wondering, oh, no, this linebacker has to get bigger. Again, I'm going to go back to the conversation about edge rusher and uh, and defensive end and line. They're all 245 pounds. Like the special ones are 255, 260. Everyone's that 250 now, unless you can get a highly uh, talented player. And that's where I think Robinson the long-term projection is, I think, his frame can support 255. So then you're going to have, in the long-term, deny Dennis Sutton, the number one edge rusher in his class, at 255 pounds, solid, like since senior in high school. And then Robinson, who has that ability, two top five edge rushers in their class. If you can keep those guys together, that sets up a really great baseline for the future. And right now, it's just about getting those guys to being able to contribute in a trio with Adisa Isaac to get the production of at or a little above Arnold Ebikidi. Because last season, it was all Ebikidi, nobody else. This season, it's got to be from multiple angles. Concur. Yeah. Well, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I, don't, I mean, look, like, uh, I think Denai Dennison is going to be interesting to see. Like, I, I don't mm -hmm. know that you can count on it, but I, I've, I'm repeating myself. It is, there. there is evidence there that says that he will have an opportunity to be part of the equation. Yep. Um, right. It's just, it's just finding that magic formula, right? It's either having the right guys in at the right time where they can succeed or taking the guys who right now are inconsistent and give you one thing on one play and something totally different on the other yep. three yep. and turning them into three out of four. Yep. Right. And getting them to be able to duplicate that effort. And this is where James Franklin made the joke again yesterday of uh, somebody asked him about uh, an easy schedule. And he was talking. They were talking about Sean Clifford. And he's like, oh, I thought you meant to start the season where we have yeah. Purdue on the road and then an SEC school two weeks later. So you don't have a month or three weeks to get these guys ready. Somebody's got to be able to get to the Purdue quarterback out of the gate, because, by the way, Purdue likes to throw the football. So that's very important to start the season. Yeah, I, so, I get the sense. Yeesh. I get the sense that he's not thrilled about 
some of the Big Ten scheduling policies with Penn State. No, because they thought, you know what? Let's be like the SEC and play these opening games. But also, we're playing nine of them, so we're going to make it hard all the way through. That'll do today for the BWI Daily Edition. Let's not make this any harder. Hopefully my camera gets to the end of this sentence. I think we're going to get there as long as I stop talking. By the way, Brad Mendler coming up, the quarterback coach for Drew Aller. He is going to be on the show tomorrow. We're talking about Drew, his progression, his development, and also the development of the quarterback position. You have to watch this. If you love football and you want to know the what's and why's, he gives us all that stuff tomorrow to round out the BWI Daily Edition this week in spring football. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. For Nate Bauer, we'll talk to you tomorrow.